Well, good morning. Turn around to the person next to you and say, good morning. Oh, come on. You can do better now. Say, good morning. Ah, that's a little better. All right. I see some smiles out there. That's good. That's good. You know, I like to read history. And one of the things I like to read about are some of the great preachers of yesterday. And so one of those great preachers was a person named F.B. Meyer. And F.B. Meyer was a... Was a he was not only a preacher and evangelist, but he was also a scholar of the first order. And so he was able to, you know, get into the word of God and show us things that were just incredible. And so F.B. Meyer was recounting one time about a revival service that he happened to go to. And he says he was preaching his heart out, but the, the service just seemed to be just dragging along. There was no signs of life, no signs of, of uh, interaction with the people. And then suddenly one evening, one of the elders in the church arose from his seat after the service. Now, that was really strange. And so the elder went, uh, went to uh, F.B. Meyer and he said to him, Pastor, I don't believe there's going to be revival as long as Brother Jones and I don't speak to each other. To which the elder turned around, went to Brother Elder Jones and said, Brother Jones, we have not spoken for five years. Let's make peace. Here's my hand. And at that moment, the audience just broke down and cried. And then, soon after that, another elder arose. And he made peace with another member in the church and asked for forgiveness for saying some harsh things behind the other member's back. Then many people began to rise and confess their wrongs to one another. Revival swept up that community and lasted for three years. Now, isn't that amazing? But that really tells us something about revival. This kind of spiritual revival is the kind that one or all of us hopes for, prays for, and longs for. But we seldom ever get to experience in our lifetime. Why? The reasons are enormous. They could be enormous. But more often than not, when God's word is clearly preached and God's people come under conviction of prayer, God's people will settle for warm feelings and tugs at the heart. But that is as far as it goes. There is no significant change of attitudes or action. In other words, there's no change of heart or life. You see, we sometimes forget that true spiritual revival is not complete until there is real change in our lives. You see, we forget about that. I actually have a slide on that if you want to throw it up there. Did you throw that slide up? Okay. Don't miss this point. True spiritual revival is not complete until there is real change in our lives. You see, yes, it's enough. It's not enough that we just come and, you know, suddenly our heart is, is twicked and, and suddenly we feel, oh, that was a goosebump. You know, that was good. That's, I had a liver quiver, you know, <laughs> what we used to call it. And people say, now I've been revived. No, 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 no. True re spiritual revival is not complete until there is real change in our lives. Put it another way, when, tr when real spiritual revival happens to real people, there are real results. Okay? And so, please be aware of that. 
Now, we'll see this demonstrated in the book of Nehemiah. So turn back in your Bibles to the book of Nehemiah. And now we're in the 10th chapter. We're in the 10th chapter. And if you don't know or you don't remember, this is what has happened so far. Okay? The first thing is that under Nehemiah, God's people had rebuilt the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And so God's people now were physically secure and ready to focus on being spiritually restored. God's people did what? They heard of God's word. Hearing and understanding God's word in chapter 8 resulted in the uh, great movement in their soul uh, as it was read for the very first time in decades. This was found in verses 9 through uh, nine, chapter 9, verse 8. Chapter 8, verse 8. And then God's people prayed to God. And this resulted in what? This resulted in confessing their sins. In chapter 9, God's people prayed and acknowledged God's faithfulness and confessed their own sinfulness. In chapter 9, verse 33. And then God's people made a covenant. Now, this is interesting. They made a covenant in chapter 9, verse 38. In other words, they heard the word of God. They prayed and confessed their sins. They repented of their sins. And then what? They acted upon that. That's how we know there was real revival. Because what? There was a change in behavior. There was a change in attitude. There was a change in their life. You see? And this was reflected in coming up with this covenant with the Lord. And we're told in chapter 9, verse 38, that on the document were the names of the leaders, the Levites and the priests, the spiritual leaders. They were the ones who penned their name on the document first. So real revival came when real people heard, prayed, and acted. Okay? And so I guess the real the question before us today is, are you real people? I think you are. You just said hello. You said good morning to the real person next to you. Okay? You're real people. But are we into real revival? And then will it show real results? That's what we want to see happen in our lives. So... Let's get to this, the account in chapter um, 10, verse 27. Uh, we'll start with ver- uh, chapter 9, verse 38, because that's what we left off before. What happened to God's leaders? If you look at verse 30, chapter 9, verse 38. Now, because of all this, we are making an agreement in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. You see, people were really getting serious when they put it in writing. You know, sometimes people put, you know, say things orally. They say, I didn't mean that. I didn't say that. But they couldn't do that. They actually came up with a document. And it was signed, sealed by these leaders. Notice the leaders. They were revived. They led the way. And they made commitments. Why the leaders? Why the leaders? Why not somebody else? Why not an important businessman? Why not an important community member? Well, there's some reasons for that. The leaders should be most spiritually sensitive to what the Lord is doing and saying. All right? So, if we could say this, perhaps the Lord spoke to them first. Perhaps the reading of the word, the impact, hit them first. Perhaps the, the, the application of God's word hit them first. Whatever it was, they were the first ones who got it. They saw and felt God's hand upon them. They heard God's word and received the thoughts of God, uh, God's heart, up close and personal. They were touched by the Lord and were the first to be revived. This is what happens in spiritual leaders. 
When spiritual leaders are involved in spiritual revival, usually it's the leaders who are touched first. It's not that they're better than anybody else. They just have that opportunity. Okay? The spiritual leader should know and see what God is wanting and doing among his people. They should be the first to be touched, led, and determined to follow the Lord. They need to see the good things God wants to do among his people and to see the not-so-good things that God's people are slipping into and do what is needed accordingly because they watch over their souls. You know, Some people sometimes think that you know, being a leader in the church just means walking around with a title in front of your name. But that there is much more to it than that. When you're a leader in the church, whether you're a ministry leader or you are a leader of, of a prayer group or a care group, you are a leader. And so this is a heavy responsibility. How heavy is it? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. And so they carry this heavy burden because we watch over their souls. One of the reasons sometimes when young people will come to me and say, I'm thinking about going into the ministry. I said, are you sure? Are you sure? And they kind of look at, well, of course I do. I see you do weddings. I see you go to banquets. I see people buying you lunch and dinner and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Of course I want to go into ministry. And I say, the Bible says we have to watch over the souls of the people. Oh, what does that mean? Well, that means watching over them. That means caring for them. Sometimes that means cleaning up after their mess. You see? But you've got to watch over the souls of the people. And so being a leader in a church it has a lot of responsibility to it. But through this responsibility, the leaders uh, included in that is they have to be the ones that are sensitive to what God is doing and what God wants them to do. Spiritual leaders should not be scared or feel embarrassed to be revived and to confess their sins. They can and should lead the way. If the leaders lead the way, the leaders have done a noble thing. Now the people must uh, make a choice to follow. All right? I mean, sometimes I've been in churches, and leaders will look at me after a message similar to this, and they'll say, me? Are you kidding? I can't go up in front of people and admit that I have sin in my life. Well, welcome to the club, man. Everybody's in sin somewhere. Okay? Get it right. Show the people the way. You know, people want to come out of sin. They don't want to stay in sin. Well, some do. But you don't want to stay in sin, so lead them out of it by your own example. You see? I came up with a new acronym. This is a good one. This is a good one that you ought to use in Singapore. It's called BAU. You know BAU? You're not going to make a highway out of it, but... B-A-U. Business as usual. No way. God doesn't want us to be a church where it's business as usual. He wants us to be business as God wants it done. And so we have to sometimes uh, come face to face with our sin and, and crawl our way out of it. The life of a believer is changed when each believer comes under conviction of the Holy Spirit through the hearing of God's word. And they pray and the resulting confessing his or her sins. And they boldly take godly action. They need, the leaders need to lead the way so people have an example to follow. As God leads godly leaders, godly leaders lead the way. You understand that? Let me say that one more time. As God leads godly leaders, godly leaders lead the way. 
So the responsibility is heavy. But here in Nehemiah, clearly the spiritual leaders led the way. But what happened to God's people? Okay, when all this was going on, what happened here? Well, the people made one general promise, and then they made three specific promises. Okay, what is the general promise? The general promise is found to us for us in uh, 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 chapter ten, verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Okay, twenty-eight and twenty-nine, and this is what it says. Now, the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the people of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all those who had knowledge and understanding, are joining with their kinsmen, their nobles, and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given through Moses. God's servant, and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God, our Lord, and his ordinances and his statutes. Did you see that? They made a general promise to obey God's word. Okay? They made a promise. God had made a promise to his people that if they obeyed him, uh, they would be blessed. If they, were, uh, if they disobeyed him, they would be cursed. Where do we find this? Turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Amazing. And then if you go over to verse 15, look at the flip side. But. It shall come about if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes with which I charge you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So if you obey my words, you will be blessed. If you disobey my words, you'll be cursed. God is so clear. (laughs) You know, I wish sometimes as a father I could be that clear with my children. But he was amazingly clear. To them, and to and on this day, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, made a promise to obey God's law. Now, the the this this all the nations of Israel had all that the nation of Israel had gone through was living proof of these promises. They had just come out of captivity. Why? Because they had disobeyed God's law. You see, and now God was giving them a second chance, a third chance. I don't know how many. I lost count. Okay. But they were now before the Lord, and they had a fresh start. And they started by saying, we will obey God. They made three specific promises, and this is found in verses 30 through 39. In verse 30, we find the first one. Verse 30 was the first one. And the first one was that they would stop intermarrying. If you look at verse 30, it says this, And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land, or take their daughters for our sons. Okay? Why was this intermarrying such a big deal? Why was it such a big problem? Well, Ezra chapter 9 and verse 10 talks about the, uh, the, 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 the intensity of this practice that was going on. But this practice really had some very scary consequences, okay? And God, way back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, had given the same command, telling the children of Israel uh, not to intermarry. 
this was not race. It had more to do with faith. Okay, it had more to do with faith, their relationship with God. God knew that people who married uh, people who did not worship God would be tempted to turn away from him. There would be constant conflicts over choices and, as, such as values and lifestyles and so on and so forth. And so this became a real problem. We saw this in the life of Solomon. He's the guy with all the wives, you know, remember? All the wives and then the concubines, the unofficial wives, you know? And what happened? They turned his heart. They turned his heart away from the Lord. This was such an important principle that it is actually repeated for us in another passage in the book of 2 Corinthians. In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? You see? Now, let me stop here for just a minute and, 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 and encourage you in this area. And that is that marriage is tough enough as it is without adding moral and spiritual choices to top it all off. You see? Now, I've been in this, in, the, in serving the Lord, you know, for, for many years. Probably I look younger than I am, but, you know, I'm, I'm really, you know, an old guy. And, and I, I really have been through this a couple times. I've been through this with my own children. And one of the greatest heartbreaks that I have is, and, and one of the most difficult things I have to do is when I sat down with my children, I said, look, we don't ask for much, okay? But we do ask that your, your, your chosen mate to be for life ought to be a believer, ought to at least be a believer. It's not that it's a total guarantee, okay? It's not that it's, don't get the fact that because a person's a Christian, it automatically, you know, it's heaven on earth kind of a deal. But I would say that it says, make it, stack the odds in your favor that you're going to have a good marriage for life. And so we've had to go through this. We've had to walk. So I'm very sensitive to this, Okay. I'm not just being overbearing. I'm not being mean-spirited or anything like that. But I would say, in most cases that I have dealt with, when they are both believers, things change. Things change. There is a, there's a hope of restoration. There's a hope of reconciliation that is not normally there when one or the other partner is not a believer. Because they just don't walk by the same values. They don't have the same system. And so this is very difficult. So God said to them, stop intermarrying, okay? But notice also, God didn't tell them to separate from the ones that they did marry, okay? And that's very interesting, okay? So if they're already married, he didn't say, go off and, you know, cast them out or anything like that. He didn't say that. He said that in the Old and New Testament. He said, you live with them and you, you live before them, all right? And so the first thing was, Stop intermarrying. Then they promised to keep the Sabbath ordinances. This is found in verse 31. As for the peoples of the land who bring wares or any grain or the, on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, and we will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And so what they were saying here was that <clears throat> they would observe these ordinances which were given by God to commemorate certain major activities of God, all right? And this separated them from other peoples, okay? Uh, the, 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 Sabbath of the Sabbath ordinances involve such practices, leaving a field uncultivated in the seventh year, leaving people to trust God to provide, and then forgiving of debts in the seventh year, the year of Jubilee, okay? And so all of these things 
were installed by God to show the nations around them that these were God's people. And God's people had such deep faith, deep trust in the Lord, that they were willing to let the crops go for a whole year. Imagine that. You see, now wouldn't that be a glory to the Lord? See, And that's exactly what happened there. And so they promised this. The last thing they promised was to support the house of God. If you look at verse 39, verse 39, and it says there, <clears throat> For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers, and the singers. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our God. Okay? And so, this was one of the very first things they did. They said, look, we're going to take care of the house of God. We're going to make sure that everything is ordered. We're going to bring our offerings. We're going to bring the things that God has prescribed in his word for us to do. Now, at first, you might think that these were very uh, uh, insignificant changes, but they aren't. They're, they're, they're lo- the, this, these, keeping these three things, in, stop intermarrying, to keep the Sabbath ordinances, to support the house of God. These were about to transform their lives radically in terms of their cultural practices, times, and treasures. You see? If you look carefully at each of these areas, God's word impacts how we love and live. Not everyone will want it or keep it, but when God's people are revived, obedience to God's word comes to the forefront. And so when you say to yourselves, I want revival, be careful what you ask for. Because when that comes, God's going to affect your life and mine in such a way that it will affect what we love and how we live. Make no mistake about that. And that's why we say that real revival happens to real people with real results. So, God's people were revived and they took godly action. Well, what can you and I learn from all of this? First of all, God's people need to commit themselves to obeying God's word. <laughs> you say, oh man, you have a gift for the obvious. <laughs> you know, no. At the end of the day, the bottom line for a lot of stuff that we face in life, you and me, when we face a difficult choice to make, it comes down. Will we obey God's word? Okay? And so, it's not so much out of fear, but out of love for God. If you turn to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Drop down to verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. See? The motivation for obedience here is not terror. It is not the threat of disfavor with God or retribution from God. That's not the point. It's that we love God. We love God. Today it's very sad that God's people often rationalize their way around God's word. Or they pick and choose which parts of God's word is true and which, is, which isn't. Even worse, people tend to totally ignore the Bible altogether. But 
do as the peop- God's people did in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra. They fully committed themselves to living according to God's word, to living according to God's way. God's people need... So the first thing that we need to do then, or we can learn from this, is we need to commit ourselves to obeying God's word. Okay? Let's get that out of the way. Let's get that firmly set in our minds and hearts. The second thing that we can learn, God's people need to commit to being in the world, but not of the world. Okay? Hey, man. When I leave here, when I go out in the parking lot, when I go to the Hawker Center, when I go shopping, when I do, when I go home and watch television, I'm in the world. There's no way, of, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about it, okay? I'm in the world. But I don't have to be of the world. I don't have to think like the world. I don't have to act like the world. I don't have to, to value the same things the world does. You have a choice, my friend. You have a choice. You have a choice. Now make it. Be in the world, but not of the world. Well, how important is this? Why is this so important? Well, if you look, turn to James chapter 4, verse 4. Listen to this dire warning about friendship with the world. Look at verse 4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, what this tells us is friendship with the world can be toxic to your relationship with God. You see? And so someone says, well, it makes no difference, you know, so I, you know, I fudge a little bit, I I tweak a little bit of this and that and the other. It all adds up. It all adds up. Before you know it, (laughs) we're walking just and living just like the world. And so what happens there is that it spoils our relationship with God. We become enemies of God. Now, in this world, we're going to have enemies, right? I'm, don't raise your hands, but how many of you have enemies? <laughs> okay, we have enemies. But the one enemy you don't want to have is who? God. See? Man is one thing, but having enemy of God, making God your enemy, that's a whole different category all by itself. You don't want to have that. Okay, love God more than the world. First John, this is the, this is what the Word of God, you know, uh, 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 um, encourages us to do. First John chapter two, starting with verse fifteen, starting with verse fifteen, and it says, "There, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life." Is not from the Father, but is from the world. My friend, the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. See? So are you banking on something that's not going to be here tomorrow? Huh? Are you banking on something today that won't be here tomorrow? You are, if you love the world. So, what else should we do? Don't love the world, but remain maintain our distinctiveness. If you look at Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Sometimes people in need of revival, which is all of us, is that we've forgotten this. And we've allowed ourselves to be totally conformed to the ways of the world. You know, I'm not talking. I'm not picking on you about the way you dress or the way you 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 you, you know spend your money and all that. Not that specific. I'm just saying, in general, we've bought the whole system of the world, and we're living by it. So if the world cherishes pride, we buy in and we were prideful. <laughs> you see, if the world decides to practice lust, we buy into it and we give into lust. Oh. Oh, be in the world, but not of the world is what we're being called to be. So what can you do now? What can you do about this now? You're sitting there and you're saying to yourself, okay, pastor, got the point. I kind of understand this now. I've got to make some choices in my life. I've got to make some commitments. But what can I do? First of all, pray and reflect on what God is saying to you through his word today. Okay? Pray and reflect. Okay, don't think about lunch, okay? Don't think about, you know, tomorrow when you have to go back to work or back to school. Don't think about that right now. Just think, what is God saying to me today? What is it that he wants me to know and what is it that he wants me to do? And then make a commitment to obey God and not to be conformed to this world. I know it's hard. But you know, the hard things of life are probably the most valuable things of life. Not always, but most of the time. And you're saying to yourself out there, well, I'm not sure I want to trust God with every area of my life right about now. There's still some things I want to do on my own. My encouragement to you is trust God now. Obey his word. And then share your commitment with a close or, and trusted brother or sister in Christ. Whoa. Close, I have. Trusted, uh, I'm not so sure. Find a close and trusted brother or sister in Christ and share it with them. And invite them to come alongside you to help you to keep that commitment. For some of us, Maybe perhaps it goes even further. Share your commitment with your care group and ask them to pray for you and hold you accountable for them. You see, it's, life is tough. It's hard to do it all by yourself. Okay? I, I, you know, my wife and I have been married over 45 years now. We've gotten so used to being with each other and stuff like that. You know, you know it, it, it's just precious. Okay? We have someone that we can go to and we can share things and be held accountable. And in many ways, some of us have dear friends. Some of us have care groups. Some of us have, you know, certain people that we can go to. Go to them and share this with them. And so this can, I hope this message is, it will help you. I know we went a little fast, but that's okay. I want you to leave here to be committed to doing something positive, to acting upon what has been happening, hopefully, to you over these last few weeks. You've heard the word of God. You have prayed and you've reflected upon it. And the Holy Spirit has been guiding you about it into different areas of your life. Now the last thing, let's see the results. Let's see the results. Let's see real action. 
Let's see real action. Real spiritual revival can happen to real people bringing real results. Actions that cover major areas of our life. So my exhortation to you this morning is be revived. Be changed. Okay? Be revived and be changed. I'd like to end this on Toshi, you did a marvelous job picking some great songs today. But for some reason, I was just overwhelmed with that last song, The Power of Your Love. And I get the feeling this morning that God is speaking to all of us in this place. And we have all, some of us are carrying some heavy loads today. And we need to know the power of the love of God. Let's sing that one more time, okay? I know the worship team is very flexible. and They put up with me and all that. Let's all stand together, will you? And sing it as an anthem and a praise to the Lord.